A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Dubai. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick today to review Dynamite. Michael Hamlet enjoying another well-earned day off. And not another one. Bloody bad time. But, Sidge, we were, I think it's fair to say, rather apprehensive heading into this Dynamite with, with what had been advertised and the... Uh, Potential shenanigans. We needn't have worried. No. Where are you, Gary Lineker? Honestly. Uh, yeah. On the preview yesterday, I was grappling myself with the rational and cynical parts of my brain. I kind of knew deep down that they weren't going to waste FTR acclaimed just to have the gun club interfere yeah. to set up a match at final battle. I just knew that Tony Khan would face terrible... Uh, engagement surrounding mm. that. So I kind of knew it wasn't going to happen, but at the same time, I was like, well, why is it happening this week? Mm-hmm. And I still don't know the answer to that, <laughs> but given the clean finish and awesome match, I'm glad it did. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those where, as it was going on, and the amount of time it had been given, you thought, well, there's probably less chance of it being, Shanae, and the placement on the show, of course. Um, and then you're like, right, but so we're burning through this. But then by the end... Although we got a finish, a definitive clean finish, I was like, we could definitely run that one back, can't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And yeah, they smashed it, basically. Yeah, and uh, yeah, very eventful show with uh, something I skipped into work, excited to talk about that you can, well, probably guess uh, as we go through this. Let's start, though, at the beginning of the show with the uh, beautiful diamond ring and the dynamite diamond battle royal. I suppose technically this wasn't for the diamond ring, was it? It was for the right to face the diamond, the, the old holder of the diamond ring for the diamond. It's Ricky Starks versus MJF for everything. Yes. For all, all, all the marbles. All the marbles. So the participants were Jungle Boy, Ricky Starks, Dustin Rhodes, Ethan Page, Lee Moriarty, Orange Cassidy, Kip Sabian, Matt Hardy, The Butcher, Sean Dean, Dalton Castle, and Brian Cage. And they're all out on the floor and. Cassidy and Sabian start fighting before they even get into the ring because of obviously what happened on... Uh, <laughs> Cassidy uh, skins the cat when they get in the ring, uh, but uh, the blade 
hits him as he's trying to do a pull-up, despite the fact he's not in the match, to eliminate Orange Cassidy. Uh, but then Kip Sabian soon follows him. Um, hometown favourite Dustin Rhodes, of course, hits him with a destroyer and a clothesline to take him out. But then the butcher gets rid of Rhodes to a, a chorus of boos, quite right to the boos, not the elimination. Um, my heart was in my mouth for my boy. My pick, as this was happening, I thought... Yeah, he's probably not gonna probably not gonna win it, Dalton Castle. I still love him, and they do the the spot, and it's something they've done quite a few times, and I still pop every time for it. So Dalton Castle's on the apron, huge Brian Cage clocks him, he falls off onto the boys, and they thankfully catch him and plop him back onto the apron. Same thing happens again, so they go right. This isn't working, so they take him round the other side to take him away from Brian Cage, who basically just follows him, and then goes right. That's not working as elimination tactics. We just body slams them on top of the boys. Sorry, Dalton Castle isn't going to be wearing the beautiful diamond ring. Um, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, I should say, um, is fighting with Brian Cage. He uh, always. It's one of these amazing things. I mean, being a wrestler is just mind-blowing for me anyway. You and I have talked before about the fact we've never taken a bump, probably never will, never want to. Um, and I know Jungle Boy wasn't really anticipated to win it, but there was clearly uh, an order of the way things should go. Yeah. So when Brian Cage, who I've no question is a very talented individual, got him up, he's on the apron, I think, or he's at, the, at the very least he's right next to the ropes, gets him up for that suplex. Like that's It's a balancing act, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, and I thought, oh, they're both going to spill out here. In the end, though, they both end up on the apron because Jungle Boy counters the suplex uh, and Perry hits, I mean, sort of Meteora knees. He uses his knees to eliminate Brian Cage, basically. Um, the Butcher gets knocked off the apron via a Ricky Stark spear. Um, uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry hits a Hurricane Rana off the top to eliminate Lee Moriarty. But whilst he's on the apron, that bastard W. Morrissey uh, nails him and then... Oh, we were talking about getting slammed on the edge of the ring in a match recently, maybe Rampage or something. And I was like, I mean, it's different. I think it was, oh, it was Darby Allen, wasn't yeah. it? Cole Carter did it to Darby Allen. And I was like, you know, that's a Jericho. Um, when Jun- uh, Kevin Owens did it to Jericho, he's like, oh, he's taking him out, blah, 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 blah. And Darby Allen just continues because he's a crash test dummy, as we'll see later. Um, but, and you were like, well, it depends on the person giving it. If it's W. Morrissey, it can hurt. Yeah, yeah. A choke slam basically onto the edge of the ring for Jack Perry. He's taken out. Uh, there's more of uh, Michael Sidgwick's favorite storyline in wrestling involving The Firm and Matt Hardy. Delete, delete. Ethan Page is like, raise my hand, Matt Hardy. The match isn't finished. There's still loads of people to eliminate. But um, Sean Deans as well is still in there to, to panic Maxwell a bit. Uh, he hits a Around the World DDT on Page. Goes to eliminate him, but bloody Hardy, because he's, you know, servitude, etc. Eliminates... Um, eliminates Dean via, uh, or oh, uses a, a twist of fate to save him, and then and then Ethan Page gets rid of Dean. Um, Hardy goes for another one on Starks. He gets rid of him. It's down to Ethan Page and Ricky Starks. Starks hits a tornado DDT, misses a spear. Page hits a roundhouse kick. Looks like Ethan Page might be the one to win it, which is also believable because of his history, of course, with MJF. But as he goes to toss Starks out, Starks holds onto the top rope and Page gets eliminated. A lot to talk about what happened after this match, but what did you make of this? I thought it was really, really fun. And nowhere near as messy as the Battle Royal as a genre can often descend towards. Um, No, this is really fun lots to highlight I'm obviously not the biggest fan of this indentured servitude storyline because what always happens and there's no dramatic way to do any of it is that 
the person who apparently has to do things doesn't do them, and there's no real repercussions because the heel just accepts a match to free him from the contract anyway. Mm. I find it such a weird story, a bad story, nothing less than an absolute obligation. But I will say that the fans were into it, and I don't think it was just on the level of they like saying delete. Like They kind of had them throughout when they were teasing the fact that Matt Hardy is going to not comply with the orders and all the rest of it. I know it's not going to happen because Tony Khan has outright stated that introducing the broken Matt Hardy character, who in turn breaks the universe of the kind of storytelling framework that AEW aspires to do, Tony Khan has said, didn't work, the teleportation angle was terrible, look, I'll, I'll own it, it's bad, it's not happening again. I think that Matt Hardy is trying to will it back into existence <laughs> because he knows that it's over to a certain sect of fans. Yeah. So it's not just the delete stuff. He was like kind of gnashing his teeth, that yeah. broken stuff at Ethan Page. I think he's trying to carny it back into existence with the idea of being, well, you know, Tony, the fans are really getting into this broken stuff again. I'm not, Doug. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. So I hope it's just a little bit of fan service, just a little bit of body language to get the fans on side rather than the full reintroduction of a character that simply does not work in AEW. But the fans are with it. I don't care for it at all, but they were with that. And they were also with quite a lot. I'll tell you what I loved about this match, and you pointed it out in your recap. Like, I'm impressed by professional wrestling, even as this husk of a bloke who's very <laughs> cynical towards yeah. a lot of it. Like, when I see the V-Trigger, for example, I think, how on earth are you not concussing people? Yeah. How, are you, how are you not fracturing this facial skeleton of everyone taking that move? Jungle Boy Jack Perry gives me palpitations in Battle Royals. He's an artist next to those ropes. I don't understand how he hasn't yet inadvertently eliminated himself from yeah. one of these things because he, I mean, he generates incredible drama, suspense, and excitement around these really risky eliminations. But my God, he plays with fire, and he's so unbelievably composed, athletic, agile. His timing's out of this world. The belief in himself to be able to do this is so ballsy. And as a result, the byproduct is just drama out the ass. He's unbelievable in these matches. So he was great. That choke slam against oh. the apron was ridiculous. And I think it was such a smart idea because I think that's obviously um, that existed to tease a potential Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus W. Morrissey match. And Jungle Boy's never looked better as a singles guy in 2022 when fighting Luchasaurus. Mm. So Morrissey is a stylistic surrogate, if you Ooh. like. Yeah, haven't Very that nice one? That. There's more turns of phrase you can enjoy because I've lifted that from my own Ups and Downs article oh. on AW Dynamite, which of course you can read if you head over to, after this podcast, whatculture.com slash WWE. I love the Sean Dean element. I love the idea that even when he's not winning a match like this, He's always in MJF's orbit. And I've got a take on this as well, okay? When people complained, uh, AEW, they promised me sports-oriented storytelling and they never give me it. They did, you're just too thick to register it, <laughs> okay? I don't know if they have this in America or what the American phrase for it would be, okay? But in England, specifically football and the Premier League, we have what's called bogey teams. Mm -hmm. and this is a very real phenomenon, 
where I'll explain it and I'll ask for Chesterfield's okay. But the idea is that, right? It doesn't matter if starting 11 of this team is different. It doesn't matter if they've been your bogey team for several years and this club might have went underwent loads of changes in ownership and manager and personnel and tactics and like quality if they get relegated and then come back up. There's always a team that you just can't get a result against. It doesn't matter who plays for them, who's been transferred in or out, as long as the crest is the same. Sometimes even the crest changes. As long as the name of the team is the same, they'll always be that bogey team. Mm. For Newcastle, until very recently, we could never, ever, ever go down to Southampton at their ground and get a result, even if we were, like, miles better than them across, uh, over the course of a particular season. They were just the bogey team. Like a curse, if you mm, like, where yeah. you just cannot get a result against this team, right? Usually, it only works where there's just a smaller team that you are better than in every single way that you just cannot beat, and they always beat you, and it's this weird phenomenon, okay? For Newcastle, Southampton used to be our bogey team. Newcastle United in the EPL or the bogey team, at least at St. James's Park, of, do you know who we always beat inexplicably? No. Chelsea? Ah, We've yeah, got their number at St. James's Park. They never get out up here. Under Bobby Robson, we beat them. Like, pardew. I'm certain even Bruce has got results. Steve Bruce against Chelsea. This season, Eddie Howe, Beat them 1-0. They cannot get a result at St. James's Park for love, no money. And this strange, very sporting, very real phenomenon, they've done it with Sean Dean and MGF. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. And it's sports-oriented storytelling. And I absolutely am in love with it. Um, who's Chesterfields? At the moment, I was just thinking that. There was a, there was a period a few years back. Obviously, now we're perennial uh, FA Cup third-round team. Uh, off to, oh no, we're we're hosting West Bromwich Albion in the new year. There was a period where we consistently in the first round as a league team would get, I think Rochdale always lose. It was like Sod's Law. All the teams, blah, 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 blah. Chesterfield versus Rochdale. And we were like, cool. I guess we've got our FA Cup runs done. We've just broken it. But since we went down to the National League, which is for those of us, you got Premier League, Championship, League One, League Two. Keep going. Oh, it keeps going. We've tested it. Don't worry. The National League, the old conference. Maidenhead United could not buy a result for uh, ever since we went down. And, like, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the big fish in a small pond down there. And it would always be, like, doing pretty well. Like, we're going to go and play Maidenhead. Maidenhead are kind of mid-table at best. Let's be perfectly honest. Apologies to any Maidenhead fans if I've got that wrong. And it'd be like... They've scored twice and they've scored three times. Yeah, never get a result for some reason. But uh, yeah, uh, thankfully right. we broke that. And then, well, I say we broke that. We broke that in March of this year, and then proceeded to lose against them in October. I think it was. So I love that concept of a bogey team. And I tell you what else I'm in love with. Every time I see it, I would describe it. He's probably got a name for the finish that was ultimately very well adapted to the battle royal. Um, in terms of trying to eliminate someone via it, even though it didn't work. The Yeet Power Slam <laughs> combination, where Ethan Page just uses his immense frame and massive strength to just hoist someone on his shoulders, and then one seamless motion just slammed down mm. to the mat. You try to do that with an elimination, and Starks just held onto the ropes, 
really acute drama. Yeah, I just thought this was very, very fun, very, very purposeful. Basically, the ideal of what a battle royal should be. And as soon as Starks wins, whose hits, whose music hits? But none other than Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Um, I often say this about some great matches uh, on television. I'm going to say it here about the promo. I am not about to do this justice. I will cliff notes some of the most memorable stuff, but just to get the real joy of these two going back and forth, and it was, it was making me think. Uh, and I've tweeted this, but the Wilbur Mega fans will forgive me. Um, I'd delay the match. Delay the match till 2023 for me so I can have more back and forth on the mic between these two. I wake up at 5 to 4 a.m. every single Thursday morning so that I can watch AEW uninterrupted Mm -hmm. and preempting the earliest my kids tend to wake up, okay? I'm thinking of getting up at 20 to 4 next week so I can watch this promo in full and then watch Winter is Coming. That's That's how effective this was. This is how effective this was in hyping me up for the match. What a day that is going to be. Get up, watch this promo. Oh, right, I'm not doing it then. I've just realised. It's a Christmas party. I'll be absolutely knackered. Get up, watch this promo, watch Winter is Coming. do it before I go to bed. There you go. I'm going to be able to sleep. It was great, this. So yeah, MJF comes out and says, Richard, he calls him Richard, one second, uh, turns to the cam and sets up another match for himself. Brian Danielson uh, says, oh, here, here you're not here tonight because you're terrified of me. Obviously not. He's at Regal's bedside or whatever it may be. He says, I don't blame you. I'm a bad, bad man. Uh, and next week, I'm going to be a four-time holder of the, and he says this, beautiful diamond ring. Because, you know, best friends and all that. <laughs> uh, but he's uh, he, more important. It's funny that because you said the other day, that the bloodline was the best thing in wrestling. Yeah, I'm about to double down on how pissed off Max is with me as well because I'm about to say he got out-promoed. <laughs> we can have, we'll have a chat. We'll By have a chat. Express Design, which we'll get yes, to in yeah, the yeah. analysis. But yeah, uh, Max says he's still the holdest, holder of the grandest prize from all, the Triple B, of course. Uh, and he calls Ricky Starts the drizzling shh. Great start to all this. Uh, and he says, maybe actually instead I should call you a Rudy Poo candy ass compared to me because you're nothing more than a dollar store Dwayne, which is why I'm going to call you the... So cheap. The pebble. He says, next week I'm going to beat you. I'm going to skip you across the water so you can land in uh, Billy Corgan's uh, NWA and wrestle on YouTube where you belong. What a fantastic mental image that man conjured here. Just wonderful. So he says, I don't care that you're absolute. I'm a generational talent, and my reign of terror has just begun. It's over to Ricky Starks. What a a clutch situation to be in here. He shoulder barges MJF. He gets his own mic, and here we go. First of all, he calls him Maxi Pad, which instantly gets over and you can just see on Max's face, it, he sells it so well. Yeah. Like, no, Whoa. don't make that a thing. Do not make that a thing. Do not dare to chant that at me next week or any week thereafter. Yeah. He says, uh, I should have expected a fifth-rate rowdy uh, Roddy Piper wannabe to come out and try and steal the spotlight. Oh, you trash the city. You trash the people. How much more have you got? The low-hanging fruit is running dry, partner. Uh, he says, every week, you smell like paint thinner and ass. <laughs> Just glorious, that. Uh, he says, the shirt's too small, it's never ironed. That's, that's speaking to me right here. I'm a man who likes a good bit of ironing. You 
He doesn't say this exactly. He says different words, but I'm going to try and keep the bleeping to a minimum. The crappy scarf, the terrible haircut, and you think you're, you're better than Ricky Starks? Give me a break. Uh, everything about you screams cheap. Uh, screams cheap. Cheap shoes, cheap suit, cheap heat. Um, the difference between the two of us is when the people get behind me or got behind me, I gave them a reason to keep going. When they put faith in you, MJF, you let them down. You let Regal down. When it comes to Ricky, I deliver on time every week, every month, while you take your little ass to Greece for three months just because you didn't get paid enough because you got out-politicked by someone who's smarter and better than you. You know, I show up to these signed meet and greets, but you, you just blow it off. And everyone hates you but you got, you got, because you've got nothing to lose, right? <laughs> Besides your nose being a lot darker than the rest of your body, he slagged off, like, his eczema as well or something in this. Um... I live with dignity and respect. When I live my, in my car in South Austin, it's because I was grinding. I knew the responsibility. And when it comes to that woman in the crowd, who I don't think we saw, I assume was either his partner or his mother, one or two yeah. people, um, it is my job to get her a car, a house. Um, you know, you, you can get whatever you want just because you pay others, because you kiss her ass. Uh, give me a break. Because it's like his new catchphrase now. Um... um Next week's a huge deal for me. Uh, I'm shutting up MJF for once in your narcissistic punk-ass life. I'm Ricky Starks. Next week, I'm slapping the mole off your neck and taking the title. And I'm going to do you a favor and take the responsibility off your plate, little boy. Yeah. This is absolutely magnificent. Um, obviously, we're going to put over Ricky Starks here, as we should. This was designed to get him over. He got himself over to a majestic extent. But MJF, without even defending the title yet, already gets the role of a world champion, as he was expected to do. He was pretty much born for this. He knows his role here. He has to say his lines, uh, dial back the emotion, because you don't want to overwhelm the crowd on that level and it's the baby face's biggest night of his career so mm -hmm. it's up to Ricky Starks to do it he intentionally says less um, doesn't go for the throat as much even though he does because he's MGF and his patter can't even be that good it's just as well that he was knowing his role because his stuff was so good that even in what is Ricky Starks' home away from home? Because obviously he was born and raised in New Orleans, but then he had to go to Texas to um, really get his professional wrestling career going. And it's his home away from home. That's, in fact, where he grinded. Um, but the idea for MJF is, for this specific type of program, he has to show us, let the baby face win this promo battle, knowing he'll get his heat back the second he fucks him out of the opportunity, and then he can go on to his own narrative cycle. Mm -hmm. And when Ricky Starks is left having charmed the crowd and just got screwed out of it at the last, he will go on to his next rivalry with like a bit more credit in the bank, a bit more buzz. So this is structurally perfect. I am not exaggerating when I say that WWE has been chasing this exact energy for this entire century. <laughs> this was the organic, wonderful reboot of the sort of Attitude Era promo exchange that is as witty, as it is sassy, mm -hmm. as it is emotional. Um, and everything WWE has done to try and chase it is incredibly synthetic, which is so 
contradictory mm. to what actually works about this. They've been desperate to script something like this, something specifically like this as well. They haven't been trying to do something like the Hangman Page, John Moxley, because that's like a proper pro wrestling. Not that this isn't. I'm trying to articulate this better. Bear with me. They don't chase WWE, that is, something like Hangman Page, Kenny Omega. Mm. They've got absolutely no means of chasing something as elegant and sophisticated and well thought out. They have, however, spent the last two decades trying to chase this specific promo duel where the sound bites out the ass, where there's a wit to it, where there's T-shirts could get printed on the back of it, where it's genuinely sassy, witty, humorous trash talk, and they failed dismally at it because they don't have MGF or Ricky Starks. They have writers who are nowhere near as cool or talented as MGF or Ricky Starks. Yeah, I saw a tweet where someone was like, I love this even though Ricky Starks was all over the place in his promo. And I was, like, I was like, that's the point, exactly. He wasn't there going, right, I've said the thing about his cheap suit. What was the other line I was going to say? What was I told to say? Like, he's spitting. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's fired up. Yeah, I'm going to beat your ass. There's no absolute weird, unnatural pause, and then a line, and then a pause, and then a line. It's, as he said... He's way better when he's all over the place. And I didn't think he really was. There was a bit at the end where he got so upper height, out of control, fired up, where I think he was trying to say that you're an asshole, but he's like, I'm going to give you an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I'm going to stomp you into I'm an gonna asshole. I'm going to take your asshole or something, yeah. But I was just like, I don't care. I'd rather you exactly. were flummoxed, because especially when elsewhere, and I know his promo last week wasn't particularly good, but ordinarily Ricky Starks is the picture of composure. And he can get fired up, but it's all so smooth, as only Ricky can do. When he gets a little bit discombobulated, mm. it just means it means everything to yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. WWE's been chasing the specific type of promo duel for the entire century, and they've not got it as well as this. It, this was just absolutely tremendous. Skillful in terms of how it was arranged and in terms of how you were meant to receive it. A total masterpiece of manipulation. And guess what? Every... Bad podcaster, not us, who said that mm, they shouldn't be swimming against the tide of the fan reactions. They should just turn MGF babyface. Like, let it play out. If you can let anything in professional yeah. wrestling play out, it is everything that Maxwell Jacob Friedman does. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, as you sort of mentioned there in terms of how, yes, Ricky Starks out-promoed MJF. He cannot, even I can accept that. But he, that was the design. Well, this is what I was going to say. So you get this line, you get this fired-up promo... No, he's just going at Maxwell. He's burying him, but he's also saying, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to take your title. I'm going to... Little boy, I think it was his last line. And you go, okay, you've said your piece. Max has had a bit, but what's he going to come back with? And that's an opportunity there where potentially you could sort of undercut Ricky Starks by saying more lines, saying more catchphrases, getting the crowd back on your side. But Max knows what he's doing, like you say. So he raises the mic to his lips, nods, and punches Ricky Starks in the dick, or kicks him in the dick. Kicks him in the dick, Sorry, yeah. kicks him in the dick because, oh, you've bested me on the mic, so yeah. I'm going to have to resort to violence. Goes for the beautiful diamond ring. MJF swings, Ricky Starks ducks, hit the ropes, and he doesn't just spear MJF. He literally spears him out of his shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't write that. Absolutely incredible. You could gimmick it. Well, yes. You could gimmick it and you There's could work it. a couple of slip-ons. It's, again, it's... Unless the occasion calls for it, 
and it should be ultra rare. No one is meant to win a promo battle with the best material. That's not the objective. It can masquerade as the objective. What I'm getting at here is that you shouldn't go into it only on special occasions are accepted, but you shouldn't go into this thing and write, okay, well, I'm going to do my best material. You're going to do your best material. Let's see who's the best person on the microphone. You're not doing that. You're telling a story here. You're trying to get both people over, or in this case, you're trying to get one person deliberately under the other guy to inspire hope mm-hmm. and support that they could beat the heel in a in a wrestling match. That's what it's meant to do. And MJF played his role perfectly here. And Ricky Starks, I don't know if this is his best promo ever. I like the one that he cut in the gods at the expense of... I think it was Swerve and Keith Lee at the time. Yes. Because I'm smart, suave, I'm debonair, I'm a sexy mother. That was when heel Ricky Starks was his absolute most yeah. joyous. I think that was funnier. This is better, obviously. This is more effective. This yeah. will get mem- like be memorable, I think, in Absolutely. the years. Months, certainly, to come. Maybe years if his career pans out as it should. Yeah. Right, John Moxley is uh, backstage, <laughs> ironically saying, this is all elite wrestling, not all elite talking, despite what we've just seen. Uh, and the fact that he himself was talking. Yes. But it's fine. Uh, he says, uh he love fighting me. Um, so we're going to get back to what we do best at the Blackpool Combat Club uh, on Rampage, at Final Battle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm going to be ringside tonight for that tag match just to make sure no shenanigans happen uh, and if Hangman Page wants another piece, you know where to find me. Uh, more from Mox a little bit, a little bit later, because uh, well, he's really set something up for Rampage. And hey, Tony, you're welcome. You're yeah. welcome. Man. We said to fix Rampage, and you did. I will discuss everything tomorrow on the uh, AW Rampage preview. That we will. All going well. Uh, TNT Championship match came next. Uh, Samoa Joe versus Darby Allen, and literally. I think one of the first spots of the matches was the thing you called noping uh, yeah. an insane dive from Darby a, Allen. A low pay. A low pay, in fact. Uh, straight into the uh, barricade. And if uh, Darby Allen had had enough, uh, not meeting in the minds, meeting of the head with the railings, the first time uh, Samoa Joe picks him up by his legs and just swings him into it, which arguably looked more painful. I don't know how. Then diving straight into the into the barricade. He exposes concrete, goes for a powerbomb on it. Darby Allen escapes, uh, but then still gets hit with a snap power slam onto it. Uh, and then Joe, as if he hadn't concussed Darby Allen enough, sends him headfirst into a post, and Darby Allen's t- just twitching on the floor, not moving. The doctor's checking on him, and Joe just stands in the ring, poses, and starts counting along uh, with referee Bryce Remsberg. Darby Allen beats the count. Uh, and recovers, gets in a bit of offense of his own, baits Joe to the uh, floor, goes for a slingshot dive. Joe catches him, uh, but then Darby Allen reverses Joe, sends him into the steel steps, and hits a huge coffin, coffin drop from the top to the outside to knock him down. Uh, and this is Darby Allen looking like maybe he could just snatch this one. Gets back in, over the top stunner, code red. Joe kicks out, though. Uh, Darby Allen runs into a uh, Uranagi in the corner. Fights out of the corner, goes for a coffin drop, but drops straight into the uh, choke. And his eyes slowly start rolling back in his head. He fades and he passes out. Post-match, Dolby Allen is recovered enough to have his senses about him and shoves Joe. Joe headbutts him, grabs his skateboard, and you're like, okay, yeah, muscle bus to, to crack the skateboard in two. That 
it's, I mean, Derby has been through enough, but yeah, that'll really be the icing on the cake. And then I love the fact that I think he initially planned to do it wheels up, drops it, it sort of bounced and it landed with the, you know, the normal side of the skateboard facing up and he went, no, 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 no. flips it back over, gets, uh, <laughs> gets Derby Allen up for the muscle buster and drops him the small of his back right on the trucks, the trucks of the, uh, of the skateboard. And then uh, Wardlow runs out to make the save. A little too late, to be honest, if I'm Darby Allen, but still. Uh, Wince-inducing this match. This is absolutely great. This is exactly what I love about AEW. An all-star match that's not quite pay-per-view worthy, but you've got two established stars who are over. They go to war. One of them wins, and you think no less of the other who lost because they went out in the honorable way. And there was a bold decisive booking decision and a great and very, very committed match structure ultimately means so much more in terms of protecting and getting the guy over and defeat than any kind of carny shenanigans, chicanery, protective booking. This is what I love about AEW at its core. And how could you possibly think less of Darby Allen? I understand on the surface, right? You could make the argument that Homegrown, yes, I know he did PWG spots yeah. and Defy and all the rest of it. But mainstream homegrown, Darby Allen, in-house project when no one really knew who he was. You've been asked to invest in him for three years, and then he loses to not an ex-WWE guy. Not that there's any such thing as we've discussed before. Yeah. Hulk Hogan wasn't even a WWE guy. He was an AWA, a New Japan Pro Wrestling guy. So if there is no such thing... It's like John Cena and Batista and Lesnar and Randy Orton. The class of 2002 ruined a lot of people's perception (laughs) of how talent is built because they got four right out of about 400. Um, Regardless, I can understand why people might be a little bit vexed about this result, but that's, in my opinion anyway, a very shallow interpretation because how could you possibly do the brilliant effectiveness of this match layout, like think any less of Derby? He got killed, and he withstood murder, and then rose again, and then just got choked out again. This is great. It was a handicap match. It was Darby Allen versus Samoa Joe tagging with exposed concrete. <laughs> that nope, no pay, low pay. Like, I think he was meant to either hit the mat or the guardrail. <laughs> Neither are good. Nope. But option C instead, that bit of concrete, which while narrow, happens to be... The same uh, width as Darby Allen, so he just <laughs> took all of it. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then the power slam onto it as well was just absolutely gnarly. Darby Allen got his ass kicked here, and then he got back up and kept trying until his subconscious body gave out on him. Absolute perfection. Very bold. Very, very, very well done. Um, yeah, the only flaw is that. Wardlow's kind of struggling as a babyface at the moment. I feel like they have dropped the ball with him. And look, I understand how wrestling works. I'm not some absolute naive schlub. You have to do the heat angle to get the heat heel over more so. And then the babyface makes a save. But my God, you have to time it out a little bit more elegantly here. Because if you don't, and they didn't, Wardlow just doesn't look like the cool, upstanding guy for saving Derby. Mm. Penny for uh, Juice Robinson thoughts right now. (laughs) Well, that's the one bad thing about this match, which we, in fairness, projected yesterday. Mm. Juice Robinson's going to have to enter a 2019 versus Jay White level performance 
to really, one, outdo this, and two, if Derby fighting that hard can't get a duel, like, Juice Robinson needs to remember how good of a babyface he was in 2019. Mm. And we'll be previewing uh, that and the whole final battle pay-per-view a little bit later on today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. But back on Dynamite, uh, Tony Schiavone is backstage with Orange Cassidy and Kip Sabian after their little brawl, of course, at the beginning of the show. And uh, Cassidy's doing his, look, do you want a title match? I have a title match, I'm not bothered, I don't care. Uh, all you got to do is ask Kip, uh, and Sabian's like, oh yeah, typical, you can ask me now after I'm hurt after that battle royal, because he's a creepy little loser geek uh, prick, basically, heel. Uh, and he says, all right, well, if you don't want to fight me on Rampage, just pick someone for me to face. And uh, Sabian wanders off, twiddling his moustache. Who could it possibly be alluding to? Mm. I'll talk more about that on the Rampage preview. Mm. I did like Orange Cassidy's. Is that a yes or the laziest person ever? the best deadpan. Yeah. Other than me. Yeah, and then we got uh, a video package talking about uh, Jericho versus Claudio, of course, for the uh, Ring of Honor World title at Final Battle on Saturday. And then we got Claudio and Utah, Wheeler Utah, uh, versus Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager in a tag match. I've kind of seen a lot of JAS versus mm-hmm. BCC, um, so I wasn't as invested in this as I had been throughout the rest of this show. Um, and also... Slightly heel turn for Claudio when he punted the purple hat that's inexplicably so over in this crowd. I was glad to see it. 
You see Hager on Twitter. I like this hat where whilst wearing the most right wing shorts you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> like, I don't like that. those shorts, Jay. Jesus Christ. Um, so Hager's pissed off because of the hat. So he uh, kicks Uta's ass, actually. Uh, and Garcia comes in as well to, to pick him apart. Obviously, those two, uh, Garcia and Uta, are fighting for the uh, pure championship on Saturday. Um, Uta fights back, though, hits an angle slam on Garcia, a tope onto both Garcia and Hager. Um, when they get back inside, though, Sammy Guevara runs uh, interference, well, runs in a distraction to allow Hager uh, to hit a Hager bomb and get a two count on Uta. Uh, Utah hits a huge superplex on Garcia, though, as they both go down in uh, as a lead into the uh, commercials. When we come back, Claudio gets the hot tag, uppercuts all over the place, especially to Jake Hager. Goes for the uh, giant swing. That gets broken up by Garcia. He gets nailed with a frog splash from Utah. Um, it looks like Hager's going to put the ankle lock on Claudio, but he gets out of it and spins Jake 10 times, which is still an incredible achievement when you look at the size of Jake Hager. Um, goes to the springboard uppercut, does Claudio, but Sammy Guevara stops him. I mean, I was a bit like, is that DQ? Uh, he didn't technically, like, clock him or anything. Yeah. There was a bit of... You don't want to ask that question to yourself, do you? Regardless, Sammy Guevara is then dispatched by John Moxley. Hager does get the ankle lock on Castagnoli, and Garcia gets the uh, dragon tamer on Utah. Castagnoli spins out of it. That sends Hager flying into Daniel Garcia, uh, and Castagnoli hits a home run uppercut on Jake Hager to get the one, two, three. Uh, uh, I give this an up on... Uh, Ups and downs, which again, head over to whatculture.com slash WWE for what is essentially the transcription of this podcast. Because <laughs> um, it was good to very good in parts. Garcia and Yuta seemed really up for it because I think they must have approached their sequences in this match of we don't stand a chance if we don't wrestle out of our skins here mm. of getting our rubber match over because it's by far the least anticipated and most apathetically built of the three. So that was entertaining. Like, Claudio just going absolutely mad on a rampage is always entertaining. And that pretty nearly horrific botch aside, Jake Hager just looks, again, more dynamic in the context of tag team wrestling. But ultimately, John Moxley, we'll get to this, articulated everyone's boredom of the feud in the post-match interview. So I'm almost allowed to say, good, who cares? Mm. Yeah, because after this, Tony Schiavone gets in the ring and says, uh, I've got uh, something I want to show you. I recorded a promo with uh, Will, William Regal a couple of weeks back that he said to play, if something bad happens to him, which is like what they say in films before someone dies on a, I don't know, an expedition or something. Um, and yeah, it was weird. This It was sort of a uh, trying to put the nice bow on everything. But for me, I was just like, do you need to do that? Well, I'm sure you'll get your thoughts on it. Regal says, uh, I did what I did to show Moxie, um, Castagnoli and Danielson why you don't need me and you can, you know, you can be the Blackpool Combat Club without me and teach you to be the best wrestler in the world. Um, I hope you understand, John. Uh, you're a calculating man. Uh, I did what I did, so you always stay one step ahead and you keep eyes in the back of your head. I will be Blackpool Combat Club until the day I die. Uh, and he walks off, and Tony asks for John Moxley's thoughts, uh, and he seems a little bit sceptical, let's say. And he says, he himself, Claudio, and Utah live and breathe for professional wrestling. Um, and final battle, the feud with the Jericho Appreciation Society is over, and he will face any wrestler in the world on this week's Rampage. I was baffled by this, if I'm being honest. Um, 
I don't get it. Last week, the merits of featuring Regal, who they knew was an outgoing talent, so heavily in the build to finish and aftermath of Full Gear, I ultimately thought was a very good idea because you want to maximize the guy's value completely and use him to get MGF over. The idea, as of last week, was that MGF had outregaled Regal, Regal in folklore of wrestling, not reality in my opinion, is known as like one of the best villains ever. I don't necessarily agree with that, if I'm being perfectly honest, at least in the ring. Um, but that's his character. He's mm-hmm. had the brass nooks. It's all folklore and myth. And his performances were so good in AEW that he actually lived it a little bit for me. MGF, as of last week, had outregaled Regal and emerged as the most cunning and despicable and sharpest-minded villain in all of wrestling. This undercut that quite badly, I think. They've reframed the finish to full gear as Regal imparting one last lesson to the BCC before he goes back to WWE. One, that kind of undercuts MGF because the idea or the insinuation is that Regal knew what MGF was going to do. So he's kind of thought one step ahead of the guy who thinks one step ahead mm-hmm. and who is your world champion and who is 26 and who is your face of the company. That's not a good um, no. look, I don't think. And realistically, um, yes, MGF's still horrible for doing that, but at the same time, like, he was ultimately written off in such a way that uh, he just had immense value on behalf of MGF. Now... He knew what was coming. He'll be fine because it's we know he will be because he's gonna. We know he is because he's going to WWE. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the the storytelling aspect of the beatdown doesn't hold much water um, this week, and it was just ultimately far too magnanimous for its own mm. good. They've put William Regal over on the way out as the guy who was one step ahead of the guy who's one step ahead of everyone. And he's like a nice guy at his core. Like a weird lesson, but the idea is, oh, it's a weird one, but you'll be grateful for it in the long run. It's been emotional. I'm Blackpool Combat Club for life. And he gets to ride out into the sunset as a good guy. I just don't understand this at all. Like, I just don't get it. Stretcher the f***er out. (laughs) I'm not being an AEW freakazoid AW sexual mark here and saying, oh, he's gone back to WWE. He can do what he wants. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a grown man, wants to be with his kid. That's absolutely fine. But the character shouldn't get this treatment for me. I just think it's who's gonna benefit from that? I genuinely think that you and I booked this better yesterday in terms of the fact of, like you say, he's un- you don't get to be the baby face in the whole story of all this, of like there's another lesson for you. I, I, I knew all along. Did you? Didn't I? No, you didn't. That's the whole point. Like you say, don't undercut MJF and that yeah, whole... Yeah, but if you look at his body language, that was always a bit weird. It, yeah. That makes sense now. And the weird, But the rest of it doesn't. It's weird. It's, like, it's a weird sort of, right, well, we'll do that because we have to explain why he just came out and took abuse from John Moxley the other week as well. 
But like, yeah, like you say, last week's write-off was fine. It was he's, great. He's dared. MJF's a complete bastard for doing it, even though what Regal did was, you know, reprehensible. And surely you could have him win this match here. You know, you didn't have to do what I said specifically about you taking a bullet for Claudio. But effectively, you can have Moxley still, after the promo he cut earlier and the promo he cut here, just change it and say, yeah, he might be gone. He might, the old man might be gone, but the spirit of the Blackpool Combat Club has always been us, three, four, yeah. with, with, uh, adding you to our ranks. I think there's a way they could have... Because obviously this has got ramifications on what the BCC are doing next. So they felt like they had to do this additional secret angle to make sense of what they do next. But there's another way they could have done it, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, then we see a, a little video of the House of Black. Um, <laughs> I enjoy it. I still think they're talking a load of bollocks, but I love them so much that I will allow it because they talk bollocks. And, you know, other people in the, you know, who talk bollocks, I can't picture them or a member of their stable murdering a member of the crew on a top of the stage from previous weeks to keep my, you know, cockles warm whilst they're just going... Bleh. We're going to dig the graves and blah, blah, blah. It's almost as if Will Bourne, actual cool as hell pro wrestling is fundamental to this stuff working. You need that bit. It's really quite important on a a wrestling show. Look, the verdict. The crime. I'm going to give you the three. The crime is treason. That's uh, Julia Hart who says that. Buddy Matthews. The verdict is war. Isn't it guilty? Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> regardless, Brody King gets to say every, uh, everyone's getting sentenced to extermination, and I go, "Oh my god, please!" The yes. sentence is extermination, and Brody King says it's the coolest thing. Uh, come one, come all next week. Don't do it. Anyone who ever's thinking about this, don't do it. You're going to die. Well, we'll preview it next week, but just basically pick the three littlest dogs that you can find. If you can find three professional wrestlers that look like me, find them <laughs> and kill them. Uh, right, now time for the sit-down with the women's world champion in AEW, Jamie Hayer. Tony Schiavone sits down with her and she's like, bloody hell, about time you chat to me. You know, you chat with Saray, you chat with Britt Baker, let's have a chat. And he goes, hey, go on, then let's have a chat. And she goes, whoever wins the match between the Bunny and uh, Ikara Shida have a title match. I was like, is that it? Not this is not on, not on uh, Jamie Hayter. This, by the way, her but, delivery was very good. Yeah, her delivery was great. But I was like, "Come on, really?" Yeah, I would like a five minute, yeah. like make it feel important because you can do the sit down. They've completely ruined the gravitas of what this segment usually frames. They've borrowed the framing of the classic Foley Jr. sit downs and the like. And even in their own universe, the Santana Jim Ross and the Jungle Boys um, Jim Ross ones of 2019 and 2020, they are taking the piss a bit. Absolutely. Like, I know this is a show with a lot of in-ring promos yeah. and long in-ring world champion long in-ring promo on this, right? And yeah. I know this wasn't the week after the pay-per-view, yeah. right? But you're doing what you did to Thunder Rosa. Ah, oh, he's a men's world champion, and there's a next champion challenger for him, and here's a, here's a, a women's world champion. Here. She's backstage. What are you going to say? Oh, it's our match. All oh, right, cool. Thanks for that. I thought deli- I thought delivery was very good, but they are cheating with the way that these are framed and orchestrated because there's a gravitas, gravitas associated with the way these are framed, but they're not 
Yeah. They don't have any gravitas no. in and of themselves. They're taking the piss. Uh, then it was time for Jay Cargill and her baddies. Uh, now only, of course, Layla Gray and Red Velvet uh, versus former buddy Kiera Hogan, Sky Blue and Madison Rain. Um, Blue and Velvet start us off. Uh, Red Velvet's first match since the summer, I think early June um, was the last time we saw her. Uh, Blue drop kicks Velvet to the floor. Um and then goes for another one, but gets trapped in the ring apron, and, and Velvet takes over. Um, eventually, you get Hogan and Cargill both coming at the same time. Um, obviously, after what happened with her, Kiera getting fired from the baddies. Uh, she runs wild on her former teammates. Um, then Cargill blocks a Ho- Hogan boot, nails her with a choke slam. Hogan gets out of Jaded, brings in Madison Rain, who goes for a ripcord, and immediately gets counted into the Jaded. For the one, two, three. And then there's a look from Red Velvet, but not a lot more. Uh, I thought some of the action here was solid, good. Nothing to get me doing cartwheels over. But Sky Blue and Red Velvet had some uh, um, nice exchanges. Jade's power stuff looked good in in a context in which she only had to come in and do that and she didn't have to navigate the the connective tissue of a proper professional wrestling match. So action-wise, this was... Um, like more than possible, I just don't get the story. I'm looking at every destination, and I'm sort of, sort of bemused by all of it. So I think the idea is that Red Velvet's getting bored of being negged by Jade Cargill. In theory, that's good because it arrives at another singles match between them two. Mm-hmm. Who Jade Cargill doesn't have chemistry with another opponent quite like she does with. Um, Red Velvet. So that's good. The route to get there, I find baffling and not good because it's not as if right they're telling that sort of age-old story where I think Batista at this point is the most familiar shorthand example where Babyface, who's aligned with a heel, who's above them in storylines, starts to show a bit of disobedience and better yet, a bit of fire. And then you see the fire and you are drawn to the fire and you want them to fire up. She's just sulking? Yes. So I'm not seeing a glimpse of a babyface characteristic that really wants me to see the full-blown babyface turn. I'm seeing someone sulk because they're not happy. This was a very, very, very gentle advancement of a story that if, in fact, the conclusion I think is happening, they're not getting there in the right way for me. And just imagine that WrestleMania 21 story. Being told, like you say, he's there, he's the muscle for Triple H. You know, he's seen what happens when someone underneath Triple H, you know, starts getting ideas for themselves and then inexplicably turns babyface. Um, but instead of that great shot that we saw with uh, Batista outside the locker room and uh, Hunter going, Dave needs to know what's right for us and what's right for us is me on this title forever, God seems apparently. Instead of that, Bow Wow was there, so, you know, just, just making WrestleMania 21 all the w- bit better. Yeah, what was next on the show? I'll tell you what was next. It was this. It's time to play the game! Time to play, time the, to game. play the game! <laughs> um, what is the name of that game, and why do we play it? Michael we Sigurd? play it every single week. And that game, the rules of which are... To the hour, minute, and second of the very first time you hear the first women 
First woman's entrance theme to emerge for the one women's match per show <laughs> in order to shine a glaring light on the idea that this is so formulaic, apathetic, an affront to parity and true representation that the closer we are to guessing it, the more it is underscored, emboldened, italicized mm. that this company does not do anywhere near enough to get its female talent over. And the name of the game, of course, is, well, this is ladies nine, I'm thinking no Shout out, as always, to Adam Blair, a.k.a. at Adam Wilton 4 on Twitter for taking care of all the, uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, data. Data, that's right. Um, and uh, Michael Sidgwick, do you want to run us through our guesses? Because uh, all three of us did, despite the fact that Hamlet's been off the last few days, he did message you. Well, I messaged a, him on my day off, apparently. With a uh, with a rather wild guess. Well, Hamlet, we'll go in descending order. Hamlet, I don't know how that works with time. No, I never know. Zero hours, one minute and two seconds, he thought it was going to start the show. So that was probably Jungle Boy walking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Will Bourne. Said one hour, 20 minutes, zero seconds. Damn. And I said one hour, 27 minutes, 34 seconds. But that was on the assumption. We thought there was going to be shenanigans at the tag time. When, yeah. the, when you saw that the TNT title match wasn't main eventing, did you think, well, <laughs> if the tag title match is on last, there's no way that this ma- women's match starts at halfway through the hour, basically. Uh, Adam Blair, as I said, taking care of all this for us. And it is another win for Wilborn, baby. More like Adam Winborn. <laughs> 30 seconds That's off. That's what I would say if I was a dickhead WWE babyface. 30 seconds off. One hour, 20 minutes, 30 seconds. Which means I have now mounted an unassailable lead. Not assailable. In ladies' night. For the year. Uh, for 2022, because I really hope this game is left in 2022, if I'm yes, perfectly honest. Like we, that's the thing. We don't want to play the game. Yeah, this is the thing. So this happened, and I was looking at the, the clock going, oh, I think I, might, I think I might have it there. I'll wait for, obviously, the official's decision. I'm not going to start celebrating. It's like VAR. You've got to make sure before you know you start running wild. And I was like, wow. I've, I've, that means I've got the best of the most of the year. And I thought... Wait a second, is that a good thing? No, you no. Don't, you don't want to win. No one wants to win this game. <laughs> it's, the, it's the game everyone It's the game everyone wants to lose. It's a game so depressing that we have to do a jingle to make it a little bit less depressing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, please, Tony, let us not play. You know when they see people say, uh, hey, new year, new you, leave that version of yourself in 2022. How about leave one women's match on Dynamite in 2022? Just book two. Well... Does Tony Khan have good form on New Year's Eve? <laughs> I forgot about that Does one. he? Because I don't think he does. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, it's nice just having a break from the whole wrestling stuff. I'll just check Twitter to see if... Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, what's happening here, guys? Uh, Soraya is backstage with Tony Schiavone. It reminded me this of like... If we were going to do a gimmicked podcast, right? And I know they've done this all they do. Maybe this we all do the time. two gimmicked podcasts every single day. It's a gimmick. But you know what I mean? In, as in, if we were like, oh, it's uh, it's just Sidgwick on the podcast. And then I go, whoa, psych, I'm here too. Because people can't see us for now. Uh, but the way that Soraya was I like, never want to be filmed. The way that Soraya was like, 
Well, Dory good to speak to you. And Britt Baker took one step and she was there directly in Soraya's eyeline. And Soraya had to say, well, I'm surprised I'm not being interrupted by the person who's standing right in front of me right now. And how could she not be visible to my eyeline? Unless, and we're doing a lot of lead work here. Tony went, okay, um, Soraya, you ready for the interview? They're going to be coming to us uh, in a second after this match. Uh, and she's like, yeah, good to go. Britt Baker turned up and Saray went, oh, what are you doing? Are you going to interrupt me? And Britt Baker went, no, I'm just going to stand here off screen. Don't worry, you can trust me. Psych! Um, I've got some tickets for you! Basically, uh, she's got a pair of tickets to the Kia Forum uh, for the January 12th edition of AEW Dynamite, um, where she can either come and watch the show, I assume, or find herself a tag partner to face Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter, which Britt Baker said a nice line here of like, I've always got uh, Jamie Hayter on my side. I mean, not right now, but I always, I don't know why that tickled me. Very interesting mm. because it's well in advance. They're expecting a big house and a hot market because they've barely scratched the surface of California. Mm. And it's well in advance. Uh, something big could be brewing. And in fact, Ooh. I might put my investigative hat on. Pen down some theories and publish them later on today to whatculture.com slash WWE. So, not going to get into it here. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be shilling very well. <laughs> Otherwise, I would be doing what Tony Khan's doing with ROH. Uh, well, looks like I've been an up talk. It's time for the main event. Oh, wrong show. Uh, the acclaimed versus FTR for the AEW Tag Team Titles. And I know it annoys people, so I'm not. We're not going to get political. So I'm just going to state what happened here, okay, and not give my opinion on it. Max Caster dropping references to uh, Herschel Walker and a sign that says Ted Cruz hates scissoring. That's what happened. Um, and they get into it. Things got very choppy early on. I think it's fair to say. Um, trying to hip toss each other, they go into the ropes. There's just a shopping match, basically. Big brawl. Uh, Cash Wheeler gets sent outside. Uh, Dax Harwood gets hit with sesame timbers. Um, Harwood goes for a sharpshooter, but Caster counters, and they get double sharpshooters on FTR. Uh, they both make the ropes, um, and whilst those two are like, I can't believe you've just done that to us, the uh, the acclaimed rub salt into the wound by uh, scissoring Daddy Ass. Highest merch sellers in AEW right now, I read, yeah. by the way. Understandable. That's why you go with a, that's why you went with the acclaimed. Yeah. I think FTR are a better in-ring tag team, but my God, they are more popular. Mm. Who's got a better Twitter game for you? <laughs> FTR knocks uh, Caster and uh, Bowens outside, uh, and they use the bottom bit of the ring as a guillotine. That might be the hardest part of the ring. I suppose technically it's... The ring post yeah. is the hardest part of the ring. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and Satnam Singh are watching this backstage. Bowens gets the hot tag run whilst... God, I love Anthony Bowens. It's what a year amazing. he's Amazing. What a year. Um, Hall would get on roll-up using the tights for a two-count, uh, but Bowens comes back and hits a neck-breaker for a two-count. Wheeler gets a blind tag. FTR hit a spike pile driver for a nice near-fall. Uh, FTR go for a double suplex, but Caster takes out Wheeler with a spear, and Bowens gets a small package for a nice near fall as well. Caster comes in, Casadora Cutter. Uh, Harwood sends Caster into his partner, jumping up on the apron, etc. Uh, and FTR managed to hit him with the big rig. 
And you think, here we go. The title might change hands, but Bowens, I did like Daddy Ash just screaming, hey, wake up, Max, basically. Uh, and Bowens dives in just to break up the count at the last second. This is awesome chance, more than deserved. FDR go for the powerplex. Wheeler makes the tag, uh, but Bowens sends Harwood to the floor. Bowens hits the arrival on Wheater. Uh, on David Wheater, former Middlesbrough footballer who has inexplicably apparently got into this match. No, Bowens hits the arrival on Wheeler. Caster misses the mic drop. Um, Bowens gets hit with a huge slam by Wheeler um, and then just takes Caster's head off a couple of times with huge lariats. Um, goes for a big power bomb. He's he's not explicitly saying this, but he's like, oh my God, we've got the match won here. Goes for a huge power bomb, but Caster rolls through, hooks the leg, and gets the flash pin to retain the tag team titles. And there's a great shot. It cuts immediately to Cash Wheeler's face, and he's he's just missed the sitter in the cup final, hasn't he? He's devastated, absolutely devoured. <laughs> Post-match, uh, yeah, Wheeler is shown frustrated, but uh, they shake hands, and they all scissor out of respect for each other. There, as we are doing right now. And then up come uh, the guns, the ass boys on the screen. Uh, and they go, I think, referencing our podcast, basically. They say, and you guys thought we were going to get involved in that. Um, they call FTR trash. Bunch of knobheads, they are. I love them. Uh, and they've uh, got a Christmas card. It's not from them. It's from damn boys. Damn boys. Who've challenged... FTR to the third match in their trilogy, obviously. <laughs> um, match for the RH Tag Team titles on Saturday at Final Battle. A double dog collar match. Now, we won't talk much about that because we'll preview it, obviously, in our Final Battle preview a little bit later. But what a, what a twist at the end of this show. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. I love this match so much. Clean result. Don't know why they've done it now. I don't know what that says about the future of FTR. I don't know if... They played situational heel here brilliantly. Mm. I don't know if this is the genesis of a heel turn, um, a build to a revolution match. Just, right, well, you're pretty much leaving in three or four months. Mm. Let's do some goddamn business before you do. I don't know why or why or how it happened or whatever, but ultimately this match was absolutely great. And what I've loved about the, the acclaimed World Tag Team title run so far is that a worthy trilogy ender rubber match with Swerve Our Glory. They've done some piss-funny stuff, like the music parody skits, and they've had some really nice, like, babyface celebrations and National Scissoring Day. Ultimately, maybe, this was just part one of a series where they thought, if you beat FDR in a 20-minute match, this will really legitimize this as one of the better AEW World Tag Team title reigns. Yeah. It's one of the better, more memorable, more meaningful, uh, most credible because they've beaten the best in-ring team, not named the Young Bucks. This was so good on so many subtle, small details, while also being this really broad, fantastic, bomb-heavy match. Cash Wheeler, I honestly think he's... Him and Darby are the two most underrated professional wrestlers on the face of this planet. Mm. MGF because he gets more praise for his promo, but maybe Cash is the actual one. There's a bit here... And if you pay close attention to his utter mastery as an in-ring craftsman, it just gets the finish in his absolute disbelief that he fucked it. Yeah. Overall and more. So he has this minute with Anthony Bones very early in the match. And it is so goddamn good. 
It's so close. It's so urgent. It's so competitive. It's such liquid mat wrestling. And there's a bit where he has Owens school uh, Bones schooled on the match to such an extent that the only thing Anthony Bones can do is almost petulantly, desperately use his trailing arm to try and swipe at his legs. In one incredible smooth motion, Cash Wheeler leapfrogs over the swipe and instantly goes to Gator roll him. Not only does he look like the technical doyen of the match ride, but Anthony Bones in that moment looks like prey. Mm. He's got one helpless flail of the arm and he still gets like his body completely suffocated in a hold. So to go from that spot to the graduating story where FTR at their just deceptive best, there's a bit where Dax Harwood like pretends to fall on his arse <laughs> so that he can kick Max Castor in the uh, in the arse and cause a miscommunication between the acclaimed. To so to go to establish that Matt dominance from Cash Wheeler early to the deception to the double teams and then the acclaimed win. You've just through FTR's mastery and you know the acclaim's brilliant work and babyface appeal and all the rest of it. You've established them as clutch players. Yeah. They are so far removed now from, oh, the acclaimed are so over, and they've improved so much that let's give them a sentimental tag team title. Pat on the head, yeah. It All out. And, oh, well, they should have a sentimental win at New, uh, New York, home state, Grand Slam. They are now pure legit, and mm. it's on the back of this very bold booking on the part of Tony Khan. Uh, masterpiece of booking for me, this. Just so good. So unbelievably good. And me, a dickhead, was grappling with the idea that they were going to be carnies about it yesterday. I did say yesterday, the rational part of me is going to let this play out because I think they've got a master yeah. stroke. And this was a master stroke. What a match. Cash Wheeler, take it, bow, son. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, a hell of a sell at the last minute for uh, for final battle. We'll get like, into it. Yeah. FTR, what damn. time? Just so I can plan my afternoon. Whatever works for you, bro. Whatever works for you. Yeah. One works for you, I'm asking oh, you. Um, I don't know. Two? Two will, two will do. Yeah. Two will do. Oh, I'd spend more time with you. <laughs> don't worry, I'm here to take it. Take me off your hands tomorrow. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, FTR, Dem Boys 3. Um, how can we make it better? Uh, double dog collars. I was like, one dog collar? Oh no, two. Yeah, there we go. That makes a lot more sense. I'm Does it? I'm we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I'm just terrified, basically. Just excited and absolutely terrified. But like you say, we'll talk about more on the final battle preview, which will be coming your way a little bit later on today. But let us know your thoughts on Dynamite on Twitter uh, at WhatCultureWWE. Watch today. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at Ab Sidgwick. Uh, you can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And it is the 8th of December, just a couple of weeks now until Christmas. And you'll be thinking, bloody hell, a wrestling fan that I know. I don't know what bloody to get for Christmas. They, they really like AEW, but they... It kind of uh, bloody stupid uh, about uh, how that whole thing came about and how uh, great it was that it did. Any books you'd recommend for them? I've written one. Oh! And it's all about the formation and rise of All Elite Wrestling. And it's aptly titled Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW. 120,000 passionate, insightful words all about the rise, <laughs> <laughs> the background, the context... The glory, the disaster, and then the glory again. My God, the revolution chapter. Oh. 12,000 words. Oh, my God. And that book is my best work. Go and buy it. 
By the oh, way, that was oh. me pressing the ammo button. That's not you just praising I would, I would yourself. Have, I would have pressed it. Yeah. Uh, Becoming an elite uh, on Amazon, wherever you are. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts and more words from the man who wrote that excellent book. As I said, we're coming back your way later on today uh, to preview ROH Final Battle this weekend. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.